Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumwatt Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumwatt or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumwatt.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning and welcome to Grumlaw Church. We are so glad that you decided to make this online gathering here a part of your week. But it is also our hope and our prayer, and we're not really shy about, about saying this, about admitting this, that eventually you will come walking uh, through the doors of one of our physical campuses, either in Grand Blanc or Heartland. Uh, this entire church experience comes alive in new ways when you begin to step into community with other people who are also moving towards Jesus. So to be clear, this online gathering, uh, it's a great option. It's a great way to kind of dip your toes into the water to get a taste, to get a feel of what Grumla is all about. Uh, but don't get too comfortable there. Uh, eventually come walking through our doors, step into the community that we believe that God has designed for you. Now, today we are continuing in a series that we began about a month ago that's actually going to take us all the way to Easter titled Ecclesiology. And, and by this point, if you've been tracking with us, you know that big theological word refers to the study of the church. But more specifically, and what we're examining in this series, it's the study of doctrine pertaining to the Christian church. See, each of us, we find ourselves in a post-Christian world with culture shifting underneath our feet. Not only is Christianity not the predominant faith tradition of our day, uh, rather Christianity is actually often seen as a, as a problem. It's often perceived as a threat to society's vision of human flourishing. It, it could certainly be argued that it's more important than ever before that churches utilize at least some of this time here on Sunday mornings during these corporate gatherings to teach on the foundational truths of the Christian faith. As I've been saying throughout this series, and it sounds really obvious, but I've just often found it to be the exception, not the rule, Christians ought to be able to reasonably articulate their beliefs. And for those of you whom are just beginning to explore, you frankly owe it to yourself to understand as completely as possible what it is that you're potentially signing up for. Now, now by the way, if you haven't been here for the entirety of the series, again, it's kind of a foundational series, I would encourage you to get yourself caught up at Grumlaw dot com slash messages, uh, or as always, you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcast. But, but today, as we move into part five of this series, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about our, ourselves, which, let's be honest, we really love to do. In fact, studies consistently reveal that 40% of what we speak about in a given day is about you. It's about our, ourselves. Okay, come on, we, we love being the center of our own universe. So yes, today we're going to speak about humanity, but, but don't get too excited about that. Admittedly, today is going to have a, a bit of a heavier tone than, than what we're probably used to around here. And, and that primarily stems from the fact that, well, you and I, we can't get out of our own way. The, the, the reality that, that human beings are a rebellious, a selfish bunch, which, which ends up spelling negative consequences for the people around us, our, ourselves, and as we're going to unpack today, our relationship with God, our relationship with our Creator. But if today does end up feeling a bit too heavy for your liking, I would encourage you to please come back next week, because next week uh, we get to reveal the solution to our rebellion. We're going to talk about salvation. In other words, help is on the way. But, but today, again, we focus on humanity. And like a lot of other topics in this series, I want to start with a, with a foundational thought, a foundational truth that will very much inform the rest of our conversation this morning. We actually look to Augustine, a quote from him. Thou hast formed us for thyself, 
and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. That is, you and I will not find true peace, true rest, true contentment, something that every single one of us, Christian, non-Christian alike, we're all chasing after until we find rest in, in God. Or we could say it this way, you and I were created by God for God. Now, in our you-do-you rise and triumph of the modern self-society, that that can sometimes rub people the the wrong way, that that you were created by God for God. But but I would actually contend that this is a remarkable starting point. There is nothing that God, your creator, loves more than than you. He, He just wants you. And our role as, as a result here on this earth as human beings, as humanity, is to make much to do of him. In a world filled with people who stand on God's cosmic stage but who have lost the divine script, Christianity actually offers our fellow men and women the script back with an escalated resolution in Christ that takes our breath away. Again, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. That's next week. Now, now as Augustine noted, God formed us for himself. We're going to jump to Genesis chapter 1 to explore the implications of this. Genesis being the very first book of the Bible, the very first book of the Old Testament, that is the first half of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 1, we have the creation account according to Scripture, according to the Christian faith tradition recorded for us. Uh, And by the way, and I'm usually quick to say this when we talk about this creation account, I'm not saying that this is what you have to believe. I'm just letting you know that this is what we as as followers of Jesus, as Christians, adhere to. And in Genesis chapter 1, you can read this for yourself, God goes about creating everything in the heavens and the earth, plants and animals and insects and the stars and the cosmos. And after creating all of that stuff, he declares, this is good. But but then, for for his grand finale, he he creates humanity. He, He creates human beings. He creates you and I or as it's noted in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God quite literally places something divine in each of us. More on that in just a moment. And after creating human beings, after creating you and I, he takes a step back and declares, this is very good. We are to interpret this in a manner that the text suggests. We, human beings, are placed in an entirely different category than the rest of creation. We have been formed for God himself. He places us on a pedestal. We have been created, again, as Genesis notes, in God's image. Human beings reflect God Almighty. We reflect and we bear the image of our creator. You, you watching right now, you are an image bearer to God. You, unlike all other creation, you have something divine inside of you. You reflect God's nature and character to the rest of creation through attributes like compassion and goodness and justice and mercy, through our authority over creation and through relationship with one another as well as true relationship with God himself. No other creation has that opportunity. That this is unique to humanity. This is unique to God's divine creation, created by God for God. You are special. You have been set apart. God declared that over your life when he placed a part of himself inside of you. Now, now, very briefly right now, I'm going to draw our attention to the latter part of this verse that's really, really important as we discuss humanity. 
But, but I don't really want it at the same time to, to distract us from the main point of this teaching. So again, I'm going to attempt to be brief. But, but, but admittedly, there's a lot more to say on this topic, especially in our present cultural moment. The latter half of that verse says, male and female, he, that is God, created them. We cannot discuss humanity without making note of this distinction. God made us all, that is, all human beings with, with equal worth, but, but not with the same bodily identity. God, our creator, is the one whom very intentionally designed male and female. It's not a societal, it's not a man-made construct, but an exercise of intentionality by the creator. It literally is God's plan for human existence, and by extension, his plan for human flourishing. The, the, the first mandate literally laid out to human beings is be fruitful and multiply. And many theologians and biblical scholars would say that's the very first command given to humanity. Be fruitful and multiply, which only occurs through the distinction between male and female. God creates unity through their diversity. Later, actually, in the New Testament, the parallels and imagery drawn from this relationship are connected directly to the special relationship between the church and Christ. This is so intentional. But Paul makes note of this in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He says, for a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. That the level of intentionality on the part of God cannot be overstated when he created you and I. Just as intentional as the relationship between Jesus Christ and the church. Let me land the plane on this thought. We are made men and women by God for his glory. Our identity isn't separate from our body. Our body shapes our identity. Scripture clearly defines the role of male and female in our homes, in society, and certainly in the church. It shapes our identity. It informs our identity, our God-designed identity. To reject this is to reject our creator. It's to look at the almighty God and say, you make mistakes. And practically so, doing so will ultimately lead someone down a path that is marked by confusion and, and purposelessness. Because remember where we started. We will not find rest. You and I won't find peace. We will not find purpose until we find rest in God. The creation cannot find purpose apart from the creator. And you cannot find rest in God while rejecting his design, while rejecting his plan. Now, from this wonderful start in the Garden of Eden, things basically fall apart from here. And it begins with, with a seed of doubt that, that eventually gives birth to full-scale rebellion. See, God told Adam and Eve that the entire garden was up for grabs. Just stay away from that one tree, that the tree, as Scripture notes it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Avoid eating from that one tree, and God says, hey, we will be good. But he also says, disobey me, and you are going to mess all of this up, the peace, the unity, the communion that you and I feel. And what happens next? That those of you who grew up in church, you know exactly what, what happens next. Enter Satan, doing what 
what he always does. He, he isolates, he lies, and then he presses repeat. He isolates, he lies, he presses repeat. He, he isolates Eve, and Eve tells Satan what, what will happen if they eat from that tree according to God, the creator of truth. That, that, that it will spell Adam and Eve's spiritual death. And, and Satan replies, well, as, as he always does. He, he lies. He, he plants a seed of, of deception. He, he says, that's, that's not true. You will not die. He, he lies. He deceives. He, he leads Eve astray. He, he lays down a seed of doubt. God, God can't be trusted. Come on, Eve, he, he's holding out on you. And, and we know what happens next. It, it would be a lie that, that would give birth to an action. A lie that would give birth to a mistake and an error. Enter sin. That is rebellion against our creator. Full-scale mutiny. That the human race made for glory, made for communion with God, is now a fallen race. Sin has fractured our relationship with God. See, a question that I, I often get from people, asked both directly and indirectly, is, is why is sin such a big deal for God? Why is it so problematic for God? This question, which, which is a question that we, for the record, should all attempt to answer, is, is really an admission to not really understanding God's holiness. Now, now, part of that rests in the fact that we're never going to be able to completely get our heads around God. It's, it's part of what makes God, well, God. But, but for a lot of us, we haven't even attempted to understand this. I'm going to try to do my best to explain this right now. Holiness, or being holy in its simplest of terms and literally translated, means set apart. You, if you grew up in church, you probably heard some version of that. Separate, sacred, without equal. But, but this is one of those words, holy, that, that when we attempt to define it, it actually has the ability to lose its meaning, to lose its power. Here's what I mean by that. The, the, the word holy is provided to us so that we may better understand the gap between us and God. Holiness is so much more than righteousness and ethical purity, doing the right things. I mean, that's certainly part of it, but, but if that's where we limit holiness, we're shortchanging the word and in turn, God. Yes, God is set apart from what is common. He is different. He is unique in comparison to the world, in comparison to you and I. But, but his holiness is actually a function of his transcendence. That the holiness of God refers to the absolute moral purity of God and the absolute moral distance between God and human beings. So back to our question, why is sin such a big deal for God? God is so pure. God is so without fault. He is so blameless. He is so perfect that he cannot be near sin. It is quite literally the opposite of who he is. Sin is the antithesis of his very nature, the antithesis of his holiness. His holiness, it completely saturates his entire being. His holiness epitomizes his moral perfection and his absolute freedom from blemish of any kind. God is not only holy, he's not only perfectly good, he is the very source and standard of goodness. 
In this regard, goodness has a permanence to it precisely because it is rooted in the eternal and everlasting God. Goodness does not change because God does not change. So let's bring this full circle. You want to know why God absolutely despises, why he hates sin? Because it separates him from from you. It disrupts, it ruins his relationship with his most prized creation, you, his his image bearer. He wants you to find rest in him, which which cannot happen when when you're rebelling against him. You and I, we, we were created by God for God. And it causes God immense pain when he can't experience that intimacy with you. One of the ways that I've heard this point really well illustrated is to think of that relationship between a parent and a child who is wrestling with addiction. That after year, after year, after year, in some cases decades of attempting to help and counseling and recovery and, and seeing that kid restored, that the parent eventually makes the decision to, to cut the child off. At a certain point that the parent comes to grips with the fact that, okay, I'm just being an enabler. And while they still love the child deeply, they say, okay, you child need to find some solutions on your own. I cannot help you anymore. That's not an act of hate or resentment or vitriol, but rather one of love. It's, in fact, love that makes that decision so incredibly painful. That that results, for instance, in countless nights just weeping into the pillow, wondering if your child will ever discover their way back. It's that type of pain and hurting that the Father feels for each of us as we continue to, to plow forward in our sin as we continue to rebel, as we continue to undermine our futures, as we continue to live lives devoid of communion with him. He hates the separation that sin causes, the separation that exists between him and his most prized creation. He just wants you. For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Me, you, all of us. Though humanity was perfectly designed, we we rebelled against our creator. We said no thanks to his plan and we charted a path of our own. A path that not only damages ourselves, but the people that we purport to care the most about. And ultimately, it undoes the unity with our Heavenly Father. It undoes the only relationship that will bring rest to our our souls. I I make note of this often. If if you're sitting here today and you're watching and there's something inside of you that resists what I'm saying right now, I get that. This is admittedly a, a difficult pill to swallow that you are a sinner. Right? There's a weightiness to that. It just feels so heavy. But, but come on, you, you don't have to admit this to anyone else, but you know if there's a God out there 
you fall short. I mean, come on, come on, here's the reality. You can't even keep your own standards. You don't even follow all the rules that you ask your kids to abide by, your employees to follow, your spouse to follow. The reality is, is you and I make decisions all the time, nearly daily. We're almost immediately afterwards, we're mumbling to ourselves, what in the heck did I do that for? Why did I say that? What is wrong with me? That that would be your nagging sin problem. Your, Your sin nature. It's what's undermining your future and destroying your relationship with God, disrupting his plan, cannibalizing the peace that that he offers. The peace that you're searching for, the peace that your soul is yearning for. There's a word that was really familiar to the early Christian church that, let's be honest, has, has become all but absent in our first world American churches. It's this word repentance. It's being grieved by the damage that sin is causing to God, yourself, and and other people. In in true Christian repentance, it it involves a heartfelt conviction of sin, a a contrition over the offense to God, a turning away from the sinful way of life, and a turning towards a God-honoring way of life. Now, Admittedly, it's not surprising that we kind of breeze right on past repentance because it doesn't exactly scream, hey, this is going to be a good time. Hey, the church is open for business. Let's repent. As we've probably experienced this morning on, on some level. But, but it's through repentance that, that we actually experience a deeper intimacy with God. Repentance is rooted in a high value on God, not, not on oneself. And I want to remind us, please take note of this. His kindness leads us to repentance. In in light of the great lengths that God has gone to to win you back, you, you want to repent. You want to make things right with him. His kindness leads us to that point. And you're not going to begin to appreciate the redemptive work of Jesus on the cross. Again, that's coming next week until it is that you reflect on the fact that it is your sin that put him there. A failure to repent is a form of idolatry. It's an elevation of our own souls above God's glory. But when one does repent, it leads to the forgiveness of sin, the removal of divine discipline, and the restoration of one's experiential communion with God. Again, we look to Romans. For the wages of sin is death. We've established that this morning. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Again, to be clear, next week we're going to focus on the hope that has already arrived. The free gift of Jesus that leads to restoration with our Heavenly Father. We're going to talk about salvation. But but this morning we wanted to intentionally create some space again for repentance. And, And to be clear, if this is new to you, or maybe it's not new to you. This isn't shame and guilt. That is never from your heavenly Father. It's a call to reflection on God's greatness, on the incredibly high value that he places on your life, on your status as as an image bearer. And it's a recognition and reflection on the fact that you have defied God And to be clear this morning, I'm not asking anyone to revisit that which God has already forgiven. 
but, but rather the question, where are you living in defiance to God right now? And, and then I invite you to, to confess, this is wrong. I have sinned. And God, I am asking for forgiveness. No rationalizing, no justification, no excuses. God, I am laying it all bare in front of you. No cutting corners, no moral compromise. Like David, when he was caught in his sin with Bathsheba, he comes totally clean. It's contrition. Regret over the damage that sin has caused to others, myself, and and God. True pain felt for having grieved God. We want to create that space right now. And so I want to invite you, maybe you've literally never done this before, to right now, don't get up, don't go grab a cup of coffee, don't start wandering around, don't look at your phone. Just take some time to truly repent right now. The beautiful thing about repentance isn't that God asks us to just sit there and feel bad in our sin. Again, no, no, he wants to restore us. As David again notes in his psalm, after experiencing true repentance, he says, Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. You and I were created by God for God. But repentance is where we begin the journey back home. He's, he's a good dad. He's not going to scold you. He, he, he's not looking to make you feel worse about it. But remember, his correction isn't rejection, it's, it's love. His kindness leads us to repentance. He's waiting with loving arms wide open, ready to extend the very thing that we deserve the least. Forgiveness. He loves you more than you could ever know and could ever imagine.